But hey, take your Bibles out and open them up, if you will, to Matthew chapter 22. That's where we're going to be in today. We've been uh, doing a study on the parables. We actually just started the study on the parables uh, last week. And you're going to find that the parable that we're going to look at today has a lot in common with last week's parable. Um, and it's going to be uh, a good parable for us today. Last week we looked at the parables. There's three of them, two smaller parables and one bigger parable. We looked at the parable of the ambitious guest, followed by the parable of the luncheon, and then that was followed with the, the bigger parable called the, the great banquet. And today we're going to take a look at a parable. It's the parable of the wedding feast, and it's one that Jesus told and so let me give you a little bit of information on that parable. Um, I'll tell you what, let's read the passage first and then we'll just jump uh, right into that parable. Let's do that. It says in uh, Matthew 22, beginning in verse 1, it says, and you'll see this up on the screen as well for those of you that, that need that. It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and they went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business, and the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed those murderers, and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets, and gathered together all they found, both evil and and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but only a few are chosen. Wow, what a parable. There is so much packed in this parable that is so relevant to us today. The parable of the wedding feast, or the wedding banquet, if you know it by that name, is, a, is about a, a lot more than just a meal, than just a dinner. Uh, the parable needs very little explanation or interpretation. A number of the parables that we will get into 
uh, really uh, at times involves a lot of going into it to pull out the truths to see what, what is being said. This is not that kind of parable. This parable here is a lot of, of black and white. It's easy to see what it is. Now, the king um, in this parable, obviously, we know who the king is. The king is God. The king is God. The invitation is the gospel. It's the gospel message. Um, and in this parable, we get to see a picture of just how foolish people look when they say no to the invitation, which is the gospel. We also, we also get to see a vantage point from God's point of view of how he looks at those who say no to the invitation. Um, and it's interesting to me that Jesus portrays heaven as a picture of a wedding banquet. Now, a wedding in Jesus' day uh, is very much unlike the weddings of today. Today, we'll go to a wedding. Most guys are kicked, dragging, and screaming to the wedding uh, to watch it. It lasts for a few hours, and uh, then they go home. But in Jesus' day, a wedding could take up to a week. And if you were the host throwing the wedding, uh, it was your child uh, getting married, you were obligated to buy all the snacks, all the drinks, all everything for a week until everyone left and went home. So it was a really big deal. But then to go to a royal feast, that would be a wedding of a lifetime. And the feast that Jesus speaks of here is a wedding for an eternity. This is the biggest, biggest picture you could ever conceive. Um, and what makes this parable interesting, every single one of us in this room, in this building right now, we are in this parable. We're, we are in this parable. And you're going to see that. Uh, the wedding feast is right now, as the parable reads. Uh, also, the son in this story, of course, we know who the son is. The son is Jesus. Now, in this parable, it says that uh, the servants and the messengers that were sent out, uh, the slaves or servants is what they are, they were sent out by the king to pass out the invitations. Who were those servants? The servants were the apostles and the early preachers of that day. And they are also preachers today on the other side of the world that live in countries where Christianity is outlawed. And so those messengers right there are also seen in this because many of them are mistreated. Many of them are killed. Um, and so we see that in this parable right here as well. Now remember, all throughout the New Testament, um, the church is seen as the bride of Christ with Jesus being the bridegroom. And so that, is, that, that truth is never more fully seen than the verse you'll see up on the screen. In Revelation 19, verse 9, it says, And he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is this setting that we're looking at right here. Okay? And as we discussed in last week's parable, 
Uh, the ones to whom the gospel was first preached to, they were the Jews. That's why you read all the time, and it was taken to the Jews first because of, the God's, because of God's original plan. Obviously, we know that plan changed, but it went to the Jews first. But when the Jews rejected the gospel, that is, when they rejected the invitation, then um, everything moved. John uh, 1, 11, verse 12, it says, He came unto his own, but his own refused him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who just believe on his name. Now, to decline an invitation would be unthinkable. However, refusing to go because of some lame excuse, like personal reasons or business dealings or whatever, would be doubly insulting. And at first, the Bible says, they were unwilling to come. Did you notice? So the king sends out more servants with more invitations. So maybe they would reconsider. But after a number of visits, the people invited not only grew more determined not to go, but they also grew more hostile and they began to mistreat those servants, and some of them were even killed. And that was the last straw for the king. What do we learn about those people who refused to go? And these are important to remember as we get into this parable. Number one, it wasn't because they could not come. It was because they would not come. Now, there's, there's a big difference there. They could come. Every single one of them could have come to the wedding feast. Everything was made ready. All they had to do was be willing to go. They could go, but they would not go. The second thing that we see in these people, their hatred for the king is seen in how they treated his messengers. Now, if you really want to see, when it's all said and done, you just split the person open and you look and see what's at the center of that individual, what is really at the heart of these people. It's not the fact that, well, they're just, they're really, they mean well, they just can't do, and, and all the excuses that people will make to justify other people, especially when they have a, a no determination about doing what they need to be doing. Instead of making excuses, you, you get to see the real heart issue of those that were saying no. They hated the king. Now, outwardly with their lips, they honored the king, but it was just mouth. So it was, it's like when Jesus said, these people, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And yet, Right here, their hatred for the king can be seen in the way that they treat the servants. They mistreat them. They killed some of them. Why? By killing them, they'll shut up. Be gone. We don't want this. And then we find the third point um, about those who refuse to go 
is something worth noting, and that's something worth noting for us here today in this room, and that is your excuses. Your excuses will never, ever be good enough on Judgment Day. Uh, that's really worth noting because every single one of us, one day, we're going to stand in judgment. Every single one of us. We won't have anyone there to represent us. You will represent yourself. And you'll be standing there. And we know what the Bible says about the judgment day. The judgment day for Christians is not to determine whether or not you're in heaven. You're in heaven. It is, de it is to determine your faithfulness. It determines your position now in the millennial kingdom. And all of that is based upon what we do and what we don't do right now today. Everything. That's why you've heard me say it before. I know the youth have heard me say it all be, uh, too many times. This life is like a training ground compared to what's coming up. And on Judgment Day for the believers, everything is going to be revealed. Everything. Your excuses on that day will fall short. They will fall short. Now, it's also worth noting to me, as we look at this parable, that the king sends out his invitations. He doesn't just do it one time, does he? He sends them out many times. Why does he send them out many times? It's because God loves people. He loves everybody. The stiff-necked ones that say no and the ones that come running right to him. He loves everyone. Did he know when he sent those messengers out that some of the people that they're going to go towards could do them harm? He did. But he sent the messengers anyway. Why? Because he loves everyone. And their refusals only escalated to the mistreatment of the messengers. When they killed John the Baptist, and then they killed Jesus himself, they were outwardly demonstrating Israel's rejection of the kingdom that was being offered. Remember when Jesus said all the time, the kingdom of heaven is what? At hand. It, he was ready to bring it on. 4,000 years of talking about it. We see it all in the Old Testament. It's now. And the invitations were sent, and there was a no-show. And it's here in this parable that we see the reaction of the king, especially to the mistreatment of his messengers. Take a look in verse 7. It says, But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies, and he destroyed those murderers, and set their city on fire. You know what's interesting is... When Jesus told this, this was around probably uh, A.D. 31, 32, somewhere in that time frame. Well, in A.D. 70, Roman emperor, the emperor Titus, he destroyed the city and killed, get this, 1.5 million people. Those who were not killed, they were scattered or taken prisoner and they were deported. 
So here we see in this parable, what we see is a prophecy that Jesus was laying out. It wasn't happening at that moment, but it happened about 35 plus years later. And we see something too in this. The results of the king's two rejections. He was rejected. And we see two things that came about as a result of those rejections from the people. The first rejection resulted in utter destruction of the nation. I mean, it was scattered. It was no more. Those that lived were sold into slavery, and everyone else was killed off. Everything was plundered. And we see that a second reaction resulted from the people that brought about a change in what God was doing in that a new invitation would now be extended. A brand new one. A brand new one. Because when you look in verse 8, it says, Then he said to the slaves, Well, the wedding is ready. And remember, those uh, before were not found worthy. He now says, Well, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited, they were not worthy. Uh, Go therefore to the main highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding feast. We read in verse 8, when he said to the servants, the wedding is ready. God was ready. God was not only ready, he was ready to bring everything to the culmination of what the uh, Jews throughout time and history had wanted to see, and that is the kingdom. But when they said no, something new was going to begin. And so that invitation started going out to more and more and more places. Remember last week when we looked at Acts chapter 1, verse 8? It's a verse, I'm going to read it again, because you begin to see everything that God did with that new extended invitation now. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And what you see right here in this extended new invitation that the king is now giving, you see basically a revival happening right in downtown Jerusalem, and it extended all the way to Rendon, Texas, and everywhere else on this rock that we live on says in Matthew 24, 14, you see it up here. The Bible reminds us and says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And you know, it is at this point that we see an unexpected event. For half of this parable in verses 1 through 7, we, we, we see and we read about those who despised the king, and they would not go to the feast. But in the second half of this parable, verses 8 through 14, we read about those who did come, and especially this one individual. Now, when the king sent the servants out to bring in those who were originally sent an invitation, um, and they refused... Another invitation was sent out. And don't you find it interesting? What does it say? 
And when they went out, they brought in both the good and the evil. Does that ever make you go, uh, now if this is heaven um, and that's evil, okay, I'm lost. I, I know, how does that work? I love, I love that, that verse. Because that there tells you so much about the gospel. What does it mean by the good? Well, we know what that is. When we, what we call good. Remember, we're all sinners, but what we refer to as good. The morally upright, the family man, the one who does it the way you're supposed to. It's a wonderful life kind of family and, and mom and dad. The good people. The gospel is given to the good people. But the gospel, the invitation, it is sent to the good people because good people need Jesus too. Good people will never make it to heaven because they're good. It'll never happen. It doesn't work that way. They may be good, but they're not good enough. Even the Bible says all of our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord. So no one will ever be in heaven and boast about what they did to get there. You didn't do anything. You get yourself there. But the good was invited. The gospel was sent out. And it's what you do with that invitation that you've been given is what makes the difference. And then likewise, it says the evil were also sent the invitation. See, the evil represents those who were really hardened, uh, a distinct group of people who find Jesus from a really, really rough point in life. In my mind, as I was preparing this, the one thing that stood out the most to me was Lowell Curtis. Not because he's evil uh, or anything. He is the top of the pinnacle of people when it goes to doing prison ministries. Over 130 prisons. He's, I don't know how many. It might be way more than that. Uh, to give the gospel to inmates who are looking for a way out. And I would think if you're in prison, you probably fall into that category of evil. Because they're the ones that just got caught. But there are many, many, many others who have never gotten caught, but they were evil. And yet the invitations were sent to them, and they chose the invitation. What does that mean? Just like those who were good, but not good enough, there were those who were bad, but they're not so bad that they cannot get in. The gospel changes everything. And unless you repent, as Jesus said, you shall all likewise perish. Now, if the parable ended right here, we could clearly see the point that Jesus was making as to God's plan and method of salvation. But we find in the last three verses, a requirement is needed for admission to the banquet. I want you to look again at those three verses, beginning in verse 11. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guest, he saw there a man, not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here 
without wedding clothes. And he was speechless. Then the king, then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but a few are chosen. You know, right now, people all over this world are unaware that without the proper clothing, they will never, ever be allowed to enter into heaven. Did you know that? They live amongst us. Many of you celebrated Thanksgiving with people that had no clue. And right now, they have no clue. That's the saddest part. That's the saddest part. This individual... The person that's in this parable right here who was not wearing the proper wedding clothes, he was introduced into this story by Jesus himself to make the biggest point of all. When the king asked this man why he was not wearing the correct clothing, the Bible says what? He was speechless. He was speechless. He sat there. He had nothing. And there's a reason, there's a reason why he was speechless. The question becomes, well, what exactly was he wearing? So we're not wearing that too when our time comes, right? Well, the man in the parable who was not wearing the proper wedding garment, this person represents those, and I put this in your bulletin, it's kind of squished in there in the middle, but it needs to stand out in all bold print. This is so worth remembering. The man in the parable who was not wearing the proper wedding garment represents those who profess salvation, but they do not possess salvation. They have responded in some way to a gospel message at some point, some inadequate way to the gospel see this person they imagine that their own goodness is good enough for god their own goodness the man in question here he did not have the the proper wedding attire because he purposely did not put it on he purposely decided i'm not going to wear that i'm going to do what i want to do and there are reasons for this. Reasons for not wearing the proper attire. Number one, he prefers his own clothes. Hey, it was Frank Sinatra who sang the song, I did it my way. And he did. And there are people all over this world today that are trying to get to heaven doing it their own way. Doing what they want. How they want. Well, your own way will never be okay with Jesus. There is a way, and it has to be His way. It's not yours, and it's not mine. It has to be what Jesus says. We do not get to pick and choose the rules. Jesus is the one who paid that costly payment for the forgiveness of mankind's sins. I didn't pay it. And I would never give my son up for heathenistic, sinful people. I would never do it. That's why it's a good thing I am not the Lord. And neither are you. 
He's the one that come up with the rules. But this person right here, these people right here, they prefer their own clothes. Ever met anyone that has their own thought, their own thinking about how heaven is and who goes there? Man, I have so many times. They prefer to do it their own way. Number two, they not only prefer, he not only prefers to wear his own clothes, but he feels confident that it's really not that big a deal. Ever met anyone like that? Oh, they know it's important and I need to do something later, but not now. It's not that big a deal. There are many people today who believe that repentance and trust in Jesus Christ alone only is not really the answer. The early church was plagued with people like this. They were called Judaizers. And all of Paul's epistles and in Peter's epistles and in Jude's one chapter epistle and all these apostles, they constantly speak out against the Judaizers. The Judaizers were that group of people who snuck into the church and said, you know, salvation, yeah, it's Jesus, and yeah, okay, and, and the cross, yeah, okay, we'll even take that too. But it's also this, and it's also this. Uh, it's Old Testament. It's the customs. It's the rituals. It's the circumcision. Um, it's the outward acts. It's what's been passed down to us for 4,000 years. And we're tying that on as a PS to the bottom of a big letter that's been written out. Oh, and you better not forget all this stuff here too. People do that all the time. Right now, they do that, they do that all the time. It's a big deal what you believe and why you believe what you believe. Um, the modern day equivalent to these people uh, that the Judaizers would be those that think going to church will make you a Christian. Taking the Lord's Supper adds to that entrance. Uh, going for the big dunk uh, will get you closer to God. And by closer, what I mean by closer is uh, what I mean is like made in a right standing before God. It's kind of like God's going to tip his hat your way. The only, the only, the only right standing that you will ever have before God is to commit your life to Jesus Christ. Amen? That's an amen. And there's a third reason why this man was not wearing the proper attire. He thinks it's about being sincere. Oh, he's very sincere. As long as you believe in something and do your best to prove it, you'll be okay. Now listen to this closely. This type of thinking makes up the majority of the world's populations. Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, atheism, Mormonism, Jehovah Witnessism, Worldwide Church of God, which is called Armstrongism, science, whatever you're into. Just commit to something and be sincere in what you believe they would tell you. See, to the majority of the people in this world, 
the cross is just one way to get to heaven. It's not the way. There's a whole lot of really intolerant people sitting in this congregation today because you believe the cross is just the because you believe the cross is the only way to get to God. They would tell you you're intolerant. God loves us. He doesn't want people to go to hell. You need to find your own path and you can get there. You know what the Bible has to say about that? The Bible has a lot to say to that. There is but one way to get to heaven. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or woman comes into the Father yet by me. There's one name given under heaven uh, by God by which all mankind shall be saved, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. Someone could say, well, I'm glad I'm none of those. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Catholic. I'm a Methodist. I'm a Church of Christ. I'm a Lutheran, a Pentecostal, Assembly of God, a holiness member. I'm an American. But here's the thing. People in every religion pray, don't they? They all pray. They all pray. You know what that also says? It's more your salvation experience. It's a lot more than just about your praying. Where you go to church is simply the place where you hang your hat on Sunday morning. It doesn't guarantee you anything by admission to heaven because of your affiliation. Doesn't matter. You know, in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said the scariest verse that you'll find in your Bible. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, if that verse doesn't scare you, you have a problem. That is a scary, scary verse. Who are those who on judgment day, that's the great white throne judgment for this group, but who are those on that day who will say to him in reply, but Lord, but Lord, how do you not know us? We did this, we did that. And he'll say to them, I do not know you. Depart from me, ye cursed one, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. I do not know you. I strongly believe that this group of people who will respond to Jesus on that day and say, but Lord, I believe those people are church people. I really, I really, with all my heart, I believe that. I have always believed that. Why? How do they know to call him Lord? How did they know to call him Lord at that point? These are people who the Bible says, Paul said when he told Timothy, ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Remember that verse? Boy, that's a scary one there too, isn't it? Always learning. These people are the people, they go to church all the time. They're faithful. They, even, they may even be tithers. But these are those who profess salvation, but they've never possessed salvation. There's a difference. These are those who are really learned, highly educated in the Scriptures, but they've never personally 
committed their life to Jesus. They got it all up here, but they don't have it right here. I can tell you, I mean, even Romans 3.19 says, every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be held accountable to God. That person that was speechless, you know why he was speechless? In this parable, which is about heaven and being up there, the reason why he was speechless, it was because at that moment, that exact moment, when he arrived there, and the way in which he was, he was not wearing the proper wedding attire, the clothing. He wanted to do it his own way. When he got there, and everyone else around him was wearing the proper attire, he realized he was in trouble. And he knew it. There was no escaping it. But it was too late. It was too late. He couldn't do anything. What would you say? So when the king asked him, friend, why are you not wearing the proper attire? And he was speechless. It's because he knew. Because his whole life, he bragged on, well, I'll just do it this way. I know I've heard what Christians say needs to happen, but come on. God loves me. He'll let me in. He was sincere. And he was sincerely wrong at the end. The best thing that you will hear in this message today is this. God loves you and he wants you to experience the forgiveness for your sins. He wants you to experience that. Now we're going to leave here in a few minutes and we're going to walk back out into a, a world that's festive and it's the Christmas season and, and all this stuff. And we need to remember that there was a reason why we are celebrating the birth of a Savior. He was born to die for you and for me. The greatest gift that God could have ever made and put a bow on top was His Son as He hung on that cross offering Himself as a substitution a substitutionary death for you and for me. Because we cannot do for ourselves what we need to do to make ourselves approved before God. God is holy. There is, there is no sin in Him. It's impossible. He's that holy. That's why the Bible says no one can even look upon Him and live His holiness. And when Jesus came and He died on that cross, He died in order for us to find a way to get in that front door of heaven. And going through that front door of heaven is to be clothed with the proper attire. You know what that proper attire is? It's the righteousness of Christ. You'll see that at the bottom of your bulletin. Because if there's nothing I want you to remember, you remember this. Wearing what you want to wear, meaning doing whatever you want to do, isn't going to be good enough. You have to have the right attire. There are three groups of people that were seen in this parable that Jesus told. The first group were those who refused to go. They were the Jews. 
They were the Jews. He, come, he came into his own, and his own did not receive him. And then the second group were those who want to do it their own way. Their own way. Remember the rich young ruler. He went up to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to have, an, uh, to have eternal life? And Jesus looked at him and said, Go and sell all that you have, and you will have riches in heaven, and come follow me. Did Jesus want, does Jesus want everyone to sell every single thing they have? No. Why did he want this one to sell all that he had? Because when he came to Jesus, he was wearing the bling bling from head to toe. And Jesus could tell from looking at this individual who his greatest enemy was going to be. It was his riches. And that is why when we come to Jesus, Jesus has to be number one. We looked at that in last week's parable. If he's not number one, there's a problem. He wants to be our number one. But there are those who wanted to do it their own way. And then last, the third group that we see in this parable are those people who accept the invitation, that is the gospel, by faith, and they demonstrate that faith by fully following and trusting in him. That's the third group. That's the third group. The only wedding garment that will be acceptable on that day is the righteousness of Christ. That's it. And I want to do something a little bit different today than we've done here. And before the group comes up, here's what I want to do. I want you to think about that day when you first received your invitation. Mine was somewhere in August of 1983. I don't remember the exact day because I've given my heart to Christ many a times because I really wanted to know. I wasn't discipled when I was first a Christian. So I went through a lot of highs and lows and I was just all over the place. And it wasn't until I started to learn what it means to be a Christian that my life started to move in the direction it started to go. Discipleship is the most important thing we can do in our churches today. Uh, Where were you at when you first received your invitation to go to the wedding feast? How old were you when you received that invitation? I was out of the house already moving on with my life before God got my attention and I realized that what I was believing was not only so off, but it was, just, it was just foolish. And just like we saw in last week's parable, remember those, last week's parable, we got to see their excuses that they made. Remember, and remember how foolish those excuses were? We too offer so many foolish excuses as to why we don't give in. When the invitation is given. You know the Bible says that his spirit will not always uh, strive with us, uh, go with us, be with us forever. There are days when the Lord is coming and he is really trying to get our attention. And he is talking to you and he's talking to you very personal. 
because he loves you and he wants you and he wants your attention and he'll go and he'll go and he'll go and then there'll come a point in time when all of a sudden you don't feel that anymore. That could be because the Lord has moved on. My spirit will not always strive with man, as the Bible says. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart, as the Bible says. Why? Because we're not guaranteed that tomorrow we're going to be giving another invitation. That is why the Bible says, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Here's what I want to do before the, uh, the worship team comes up. I want everyone in this room, I want you to bow your heads for just a moment, and I want you to not look around, because I want everyone that's in this room who have eyes and heads bowed and closed to know that this is just between them and the Lord right now. If you are here in this room this morning, and you do not know if you have ever reacted to that invitation... I want to give you an opportunity this morning to receive that invitation. And it's going to be just between you and Jesus. Just between you and Him. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning, I want to do for you what I wish someone would have done for me when I got saved, and that was pray with me. Because I didn't know how, I didn't know how to pray. It worked. It was beyond awkward, and I lost a whole lot of growth time because I was trying to figure things out. I want to pray for you. If you're here this morning, and you know that you have never received that invitation and acted on it, I'm going to give you a chance to do that this morning. If that is you, I'm not going to ask you to come down here. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I'm going to ask you, raise your hand. So I can see, so I can know how to pray in just a few seconds. I want to pray for you, and you're going to pray with me right where you're seated. But I need to know, if there is anyone in this room, and you know that you're not going to heaven when you die, you're not going to be that person on that day that says, Lord, Lord, and he says, depart from me, I don't know you. You don't want to be that person. You want to know that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Jesus said, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. If you're in this room this morning and you do not know, I want you to raise your hand and then I'll know how to pray. If that is you today, just raise your hand and then you can put your hand back down. I just want you to know I would love to pray for you. Okay? Anyone else? Anyone else? All right. Anyone else? We're going to pray. And I want you to experience what you've been looking for, whether you know it or not. There's a wedding attire that we need to put on, and 99% of this world is unaware of it. And that wedding attire is, you've got you to have Jesus. Jesus needs to be with you, and you need to be with Him. Is there anyone else you want to know that your sins are forgiven, then just raise your hand up, put it back down, and we're going to wrap this up, and we're going to pray for those that raise their hands. For those that raise their hands, this is all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to pray, and I just want you to pray along with me. Not out loud. 
You can pray in your heart. You, I don't care how you pray. Just pray along with me. And what we're going to do, we're going to agree with God. We're going to tell God what God already knows about us. And we're going to agree with Him. And this prayer, you're going to pray. It's your prayer. It's not mine. It's your prayer. But when you pray, you're going to commit your life to following Him the moment you leave here today. That's where the growth starts. The first thing it has to begin uh, is that relationship. You can't have her... You can't live the life if you don't have the relationship. So for those of you that raised your hands, you're going to admit to the Lord that you're a sinner. I don't think I need to tell you that you're a sinner. I think you know it. And when you agree with him, you are also confessing along with that that you're not going to be good enough to get yourself to heaven. Why? Because you're a sinner. And because you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, you're going to commit your life to following him, and you're going to tell him that. You're going to let him know that. You want him to know unashamedly that you're going to follow him. So you're going to commit your life to following him, and that's when the journey begins, right then and there. So for those of you that raise your hands, pray with me. Father in heaven, I just come before you right now in the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, I want to confess that I am a sinner. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. And Lord, I know I'm not living for you in my heart. And I want to change that. So Lord, right now, I want to accept your invitation I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose again, proving that you are the Lord. And Jesus, right now, I want to follow you. Lord, from this moment on, I want to live my life for you and I want to honor you because of everything you did for me. So thank you, Lord, for coming into my heart. And thank you, Lord, for saving me and for dying for my sins. And Lord, right now, I claim your promise when you said, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so, Lord, this morning, that's me. Again, Lord, I just want to ask you, help me to live for you in all the ways that I should. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.